Jeremy Sohan not worth a lottery pick? No concerns about Johnny Davis as a shooter and traits to look for in the first round with draft expert Richard Stamen of Locked On NBA Big Board. It's the Friday episode of Locked On Pelicans. Let's go. You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with y'all on this Friday, we got a fun show. Richard Stamen of Locked On NBA Big Board going to come on to talk draft with me. The process in evaluating a draft, is this draft good? What should the Pelicans do? And then we'll look at a bunch of the specific prospects. And thank you for making today's episode a Locked on Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast Monday through Friday. No paywall, just Pelicans talk covering the topics that you want to hear on a daily basis. All right, joining me now on Locked On Pelicans, we've got Richard Stamen at Mavstrap, part of the NBA Big Board podcast. Man, thanks for joining me. This is going to be some fun here. Yeah, I'm excited. I think this is my Locked On Pelicans debut. And, it is. Uh, at, at least for 2022. I'm really excited. I've been listening to the show forever. So excited to be on. No, it's it's awesome that you're also part of Locked On and we get these draft experts that that can come on. So let's just kind of like dive right into it with this. So what, what I wanted to ask you about to start off is you're just kind of like approach to evaluating not just this draft, but like any draft. Is there a way you look at like your first tier players versus your second tier players? What are some of the things that come into like doing a big board and kind of ranking guys out? Man, that's actually one of the toughest questions I think I've ever been asked on this. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the difference is really like with superstars, like you're at the top tier guys, you look at them kind of like how can they become a superstar? And the rest, it's almost like how can they latch on to the league, which is probably how we let some guys slip through the cracks where we're like, how did mm-hmm. you know X player become a star? Uh, a lot of people missed on Jimmy Butler, for example. How did we like because we were like, oh, how can he be a role player instead of looking, how can he achieve star upside? But when creating a board, I mean, it is hard because you don't know what teams are going to value and also where teams are going to uh, draft players. And that, you know, landing spot really does matter because one guy's greatest mm-hmm. fit, the next team could be his absolute worst. So it's it gets really tough sometimes, uh, but I try and try and be as objective as possible. So like saying like the top four picks, right? There's like kind of three, four guys I think that everyone really likes in this draft. Are you looking at just like pure upside, pure ceiling with those guys? Or are you looking at guys that, you know, cool, could step in and maybe contribute or a little bit more NBA ready? Or is it kind of a mix of both? Or And how much does like fit for the team come into play with some of those like like top four guys or so? Yeah, I mean, fit definitely starts to matter. You look at like the Orlando Magic. I I follow the Magic, Mm -hmm. so... Uh, that's that's always the team that comes to mind. They're not taking Jaden Ivey, for example, but fit does matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it goes both ways, really. Again, just like the, the guys need a good landing spot. Chet Holmgren in Oklahoma City, Houston, Detroit, wherever it would have been, Orlando, it's all going to be different outcomes. And just kind of evaluating, mm-hmm. you have to know what the NBA teams are like because otherwise you're going to be completely off in your evaluation. Yeah, and that's, that makes sense. So do you value certain skills or athleticism? You you know, you were talking to me on Twitter the other day about Dyson Daniels maybe not having that like athlete 
athleticism and maybe you had him ranked a little bit lower than that are there certain like traits whether it's shooting or just the physical attributes you really look for in guys particularly in the lottery yeah especially at positions i think every guard for the most part has to be able to shoot there's very few exceptions obviously you get some ben simmons slipped in there and whatnot mm-hmm. and the wings i think absolutely have to shoot and if you're a big man and you don't shoot you have to be able to move on the perimeter you have to be able to defend the rim at a high level things like that there's just floor level traits you have to have at each position and that's the kind of stuff i look for yeah no i, I think that's helpful for you know we're, we're, there's a lot of new pelicans fans after the season they just had so they might not view the draft through kind of like the NBA lens and maybe look at it more from like a Saints perspective. So I think kind of getting your thoughts as someone who does a ton of this is super helpful for them just to kind of hear how like some of the the approach that goes and things like that. So I appreciate you sharing all that. So what do you think of this Pelicans team? I know you were pretty intrigued by them throughout the year and had a lot of fun watching them. Just your quick thoughts on like the season in general. Yeah, you know, I, I saw that one in, what was it, one in 14 or whatever start. I, I went to actually yeah, one, one in 13. The, yeah, one in one of the games on the road, and I was like, this is this is horrible. And uh, they turned it around. You know, I, I was a big fan of the Jose Alvarado acquisition. He was one of my guys. If you followed last year, like, I was I was big on him. Like, this dude is J.J. Mm-hmm. Barea-esque. And I loved Herb Jones. I never even saw this coming, though. Like, I was one of the higher ones on draft winner on Herb Jones. And I never in a million years saw him being this good this fast. So, I was really impressed with how much they made of almost nothing to an extent where they were thought to be, you know, I mean, after that. Uh, Dead in the water, right? What's up? Yeah, dead. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. they were dead in the water. And like everyone was like, this team's done and they should switch to looking at this draft tanking. I think at one point I messaged you during the season and I was like, how good is this draft? Like, is this a draft that's worth like tanking for? Yeah, and and I remember that. And and honestly, (laughs) it's good they didn't tank. Yeah, you're like, maybe not. Yeah, they're in a better Yeah, position. you're like, I don't know if this is one that it's like entirely worth like bottoming out for and getting a top pick or, or something along those lines. And clearly, I'm glad they didn't. We ended up having a whole lot um, more fun with, with everything with this team. So, I mean, so how do you view this draft top to bottom, kind of from the, the top level talent to some of kind of the, the mid-tier guys towards the bottom of it? Is this, you know, better or worse than last year? Do you think next year's draft might be a little bit better than this one? Yeah, unfortunately, 2022 is sandwiched next to two of the greatest hyped up drafts in in recent memory. Uh, The last really five drafts before this have been better. This is probably the worst since 2016. It's better than 2016, but it's worse than everything since. And next year is an elite class. So it's Mm -hmm. tough. I think it's still fine. You're going to get a lot of good role players. You'll find some hidden gems just like every other year. There's just not a lot of standout players. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of the way I view it. I still think the Pelicans are a good spot at eight is there's a lot of guys I think they can take that have good upside and, you know, still are going to provide good value there and also be able to contribute in some role right away. And at the very least, probably end up being productive role players in their career. But it's not necessarily one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, there's a can't miss prospect in there, um, you know, falling that kind of late within the first round and the lottery. So coming up, let's talk a little bit more about the Pelicans, their needs, and then some of the prospects that's coming up here next in today's episode of Locked On Pelicans. Before we do that, though, today's episode of Locked On Pelicans is brought to you by Built Bar. We've been asking and Built Delivered. Built Granola Bars are here. Built Granola Bars come in three unbelievable flavors, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate coconut, and white chocolate berry. If you want to try all three of the flavors, you can get a mix box at Built.com right now. These are so different from the bars and the puffs. Built 
low granola bars are loaded with granola. It's that perfect combination of crunch and chewiness. And just like the bars and the puffs, these babies are packed with protein and covered in 100% real chocolate with 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only four grams sugar. Built granola bars will change your world. Built has cracked the code to better granola and they're the perfect healthy snack to pack in your lunch, take on the road or eat as a snack. And they're made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So if you've been waiting for a healthy and delicious granola bar to hit the market, this is your time. Head to built.com right now to get the built granola bars, three delicious flavors to try chocolate, peanut butter, chocolate, coconut, and white chocolate berry. Don't miss out. you got to get yours today. Go to built.com, get the built granola bars now. So go to built.com, use promo code lock 15 and get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code lock 15 for 15% off over at built.com. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're free and available five days a week, breaking down everything you want to know about the team. Today, we got Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft, part of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. All right, let's continue kind of chatting about the Pels, the draft here. So looking at the team, you know, I, I think they were good last year, obviously taking the Phoenix Suns to six games. Do you see like glaring needs on this team or areas they should be trying to upgrade and maybe looking at the draft to try and address? I mean, one thing that pops out to me is just off-ball defense. There's a lot of times where I felt like they were they had a lot of lapses just in guarding in shooters, cutters, things like that. That's always been one of the things that pops out, which is weird because the personnel on the roster should actually be good at that. All things considered, like <laughs> all at once, it, it was very weird to me to see the numbers were low on that. So that's always what popped out to me first. That and pick and roll ball handlers on offense. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think obviously more defense on this team's only going to be a good thing but you, there were so many times it's just backdoor cut after backdoor cut and people not seemingly like having whether it's like awareness basketball IQ or what have you to recognize some of that and they would just keep getting burned by the same things over and over and over again which is always a little bit frustrating when like you you know it's an issue can you please try and do something about it um so those are the two areas what do you think about like shooting for a team like this do they obviously need to add any more than that? Or you think they're capable of building a good enough offense with, you know, some of the limitations they have there? Yeah, they were. So the Pelicans were actually 26 in efficiency on catch and shoot this year. So I would say you could probably add more shooting. Obviously things like guys will get better. Also if Zion's back, I think that's just a natural progression. He makes shooters better personally. So that might get better without even just adding anybody, but it doesn't ever hurt to add a, a one shooter every single summer. That's what every single team should aim for. I think that's a good approach. Just like one dude who can shoot and kind of like cycle through until you have kind of like the right amount of them. Like they tried it in Devonte Graham this year. I don't really think that worked out and I don't particularly love him as a player. So you think it's something like that. Look for a shooter basically every year and try and add that. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be with your first pick, but the way the Pelicans have been able yeah. to find talent anywhere I think they're fine in doing it undrafted free agency, second round picks, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. So who are some of the guys, you know, I know you do the big community mocks at MavsDraft.com where you kind of have different people coming in to kind of simulate what these drafts might look like. What do you think the Pelicans are going to kind of end up doing at eight? Are there certain players you think they're really targeting? Are there certain players you think are kind of the right pick, the right fit for them at that spot? Man, I love the idea of Benedict Matherin in new Orleans. Like I, I just, I can't get away from that thought. That's, that seems to be the common pick. And a lot of times though, there's a random player taken above him that will make him and Keegan Murray available. Generally it's Jeremy Sohan or Dyson Daniels. 
And mm -hmm. when that happens, suddenly you have two incredible scoring and shooting options. Those are the two I look for the most. Yeah, I did yesterday's show on Matherin. I think there's a lot to like, but I don't know. As I've watched him a little bit more, I'm, I'm having him drop down a spot or two probably on my board. Are the, do you? So the way I kind of view him, look, like an elite shooter, right? Like that guy has a, kind of like every three-point shot in his bag, whether it's coming off movement, whether it's catch-and-shoot situations, even though he wasn't like amazing at that this past year. I worry a little bit about him kind of being a number one option eventually. And I wonder if that kind of lowers his ceiling. Like he screams really, really good NBA role player to me. Is that the way you view him? Or what do you think like his, his NBA comp might be? Or what do you think kind of his high end projection could be? Yeah, I actually think he's got the mold to be almost a star or at least a star role player in his position. Because okay. like you said, the shooting is just so strong. The I, I think his defense is good. It's a little bit overrated, but he's projectable. He has a pretty good frame mm -hmm. for a wing. He can guard multiple positions. And I think the playmaking, the playmaking is what really is going to put him over the top. We've seen flashes of it. The USC game, if you want to go back and watch it, I think he had five assists. Every single assist was an advanced pass. And if he does that, that's a wing that can pass, shoot, defend as a borderline star. Yeah, no, that's fair. And like, that's where, you know, I think a lot of the NBA is going. You need like as many of those guys on your team as, as possible. And so I, I think there's a reason he's kind of been like the consensus name. Um, but you think Murray could potentially fall and be there at eight, depending if the draft gets like in that like five, six, seven range a little bit wild. Yeah, because it's weird. The, the NBA just doesn't like guys that are 22 and sophomores. And I think it's, it's and, and strange, right? <laughs> You would think they'd learn when Desmond Bain <laughs> fell to 30. You would think these teams would have learned, but they, I just I don't think teams actually learn. So I think being a little bit older, even though he's hyper-productive and it'll translate, I think teams are going to overthink it. Yeah, he, he was excellent last year, right? He was the leading scorer in the Big Ten, and I think that really does say something. 26.5 points per game, 9.8 rebounds. Like, those numbers are pretty great. And I thought he's above average defensively too, right? Like, he's pretty good on that side of the ball. So, as you said, just kind of like hyper-productive player basically for him. Yeah, honestly, I'd say he's almost a great defender. He had more games with a block than the leading shot blocker in the draft, Walker Kessler. So, like, when you are doing that, there's something to be said about your defensive ability. <laughs> Yeah, when you're that productive. And I think you make a good point of like where teams overthink it. And sometimes it's like, no, we want the dude who's like, you know, I'm sure they'd love to draft 16 year olds if they could because the upside's there and they're young and you can work with them, right? But sometimes there's something to be said to just draft a dude who can like raise the floor of your team, right? As you mentioned, Desmond Bain's like kind of the best example of that. It's also probably part of the reason why Herb Jones went into the second round, right? He was 22, right? He's older. You don't love things like that, but it's a dude who's just can step in and play right away and there's something to be said for that even if they don't have like an all nba ceiling i think and i think sometimes you see people particularly like in the top 10 right like really focusing on that what is their their top end ceiling maybe missing the fact of this guy's good and you should you should draft him <laughs> yeah i don't know what teams are really missing with him like you look at herb jones who went from what seven percent from three as a junior to like 35 percent <laughs> As a senior, yeah. and like when you look at somebody who has an elite trait, he's a great defender, can also pass at a high level, and then improves everything. Like Keegan Murray isn't far off from that like general overview where he was a good scorer, he turned himself into a great scorer, went from good defender to a great defender. There's something to be said for that. 
Mm-hmm. You, you want to see improvement in these guys, right? You want to see kind of like a, a trajectory and a projection to make it seem like they can kind of move on that path. What do you what do you think about one who's like kind of unknown in Shade and Sharp? I did a show on him. I'm really intrigued by like a lot of the physical talents. But Rafael Barlow, right, was talking about it from those the anonymous scouts that maybe there's a little bit of concern about him with some like kind of everything else outside of that with him. Yeah, I don't know what to make of Sharp. I like his film. One thing that alarms me in terms of his game, because there are off-court flags, I think, is just mm-hmm. he's so athletic, right? We heard about his 49-inch vertical, which may just be a little bit, uh, you know, like maybe a little bit exaggerated. But okay. even then, he still got <laughs> clears 40 by – like you don't accidentally get 49 like that. But regardless, one thing that worries me is for someone so athletic, you don't see him like separate with blow buys as much as you'd like. And that's kind of alarming to me. I might just be overthinking mm-hmm. it, but when you're so athletic, that should not be on your list of like areas to improve on. So with the off-court stuff, there is a chance he could slide. He could also probably go as high as three. Yeah, it seems like his range is kind of all over the place and it might come down to those like individual team workouts and what he's willing to do and kind of the impression he makes on there. You know, seeing some of the video of that kind of like the pro day he did, right? Very controlled. I don't know if we want to read too much into those sorts of things. The the shot looks incredible though. Like I do think he is going to be a very good shooter in the league, but like just it's new Orleans, right? Having gone through the Anthony Davis stuff, there's still kind of the lingering after effects of some of the stuff with Zion this past year. A guy who's like, I'm, I don't want to play who's maybe getting bad advice, maybe not getting bad advice. I feel like I, I, if I'm new Orleans and he's there at eight, you almost like have to take him depending on how some of it's gone, given that you said he could go three. That stuff is just, I don't know. Maybe it's, we've been burned too many times before and we don't want to deal with something like that, but it has me a little bit nervous about him. Yeah, and you know, outside of Chet Holmgren, I think he's got the highest ceiling in the draft. You look at a six-six shooting guard with a seven-foot wingspan that can score at all three levels, hyper athletic. That's a superstar mold. You almost have to take the the swing. Obviously, if the camp is that bad around him, that's probably why he's falling. And yeah, if it's New Orleans, maybe the <laughs> drop off between him and Matherin isn't that that dramatic. Yeah, I think that's something they're going to really have to kind of factor into their board and, you know, when they have to make a decision on this. And he might not even be there. I think it's still probably a long shot that he is. Uh, What do you make of Dyson Daniels? I know you watched the show the other day, and I think I sold you a little bit on him. Um, He's a really intriguing prospect too, right? And he's probably helped a little bit by the fact that Josh Giddy did so well last year. Yeah, he's he's a tough one for me to evaluate because he's 6'8", and he's a guard that – I don't even know if he was playing his best to his best strengths at the G League. So I don't know what to make of him. He's one of the toughest evaluations. I worry the jump shot might be a fatal flaw in the lack of, you know, he just doesn't dunk in the half court. All of his, almost every single dunk came in transition. So I worry about him finishing in traffic and shooting. So if he's not scoring, will those passing and defensive traits be negated a little bit? That's my one concern. But overall, I just don't see a way he busts. Like someone with that size, IQ, and skill, they stick in the league one way or another. Yeah, there's going to be a place for them, I think. I, I agree with you on that. But it, there's still some like unknown with him, too. And I hadn't really seen the stuff about him not dunking kind of in the half court. And the Pelicans have struggled in half court. We saw it in the playoffs, too. So getting guys that can eventually contribute in there, I think, is a really important thing for this team as well to be able to get. All right, so coming up next, let's talk a couple more prospects here because I'm really curious your thoughts on guys like Jeremy Sohan. Um, Johnny Davis is a name that comes up a lot from Pelicans 
fans that I want to talk to you about as well. That's going to be coming up here next in today's episode of Locked on Pelicans. And thank you for making Locked on Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday breaking down everything you want to know about the team. No paywall, just basketball talk five days a week. All the biggest stories, all the prospects you want to hear. And now for your next listen, go check out the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast because Richard's on there talking about these prospects, giving you insight into mock drafts, uh, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Richard, get a couple more guys for you here one of the names that comes up like all the time and i see it on the youtube comments i had like five people tweeting it at me in all caps today was johnny davis that's one that i he's a guy that i like a lot of what he does but i'm really concerned about his shooting and as you kind of said right if you're a guard and you can't shoot and 33 from three worries me how much of a future is there in the league and is that a guy that you would feel comfortable drafting at eight personally wouldn't take him at eight I, I do have concerns on his jump shot, but actually a little di- bit differently. I don't think there's anything wrong with his form or ability in that regard. I think it was more of his role. I don't think he's an on-ball creator like he's been tasked mm-hmm. to be. At, at, okay. uh, at Wisconsin, you know, he was he was kind of – he had to do everything. He was a one-man show. That's why he won the Big Ten Player of the Year. But he might be best being an off-ball player because he can't get his shot off, I don't think, consistently without using a screen, and that worries me a lot. And and he's predictable when using those screens. So, yeah, the shooting is a worry, but not because of skill. Gotcha. So it's just kind of like how he's used and things like that. So it's like on a team with Zion, with Brandon Ingram, does that help if he's not going to ever really be asked to kind of be the primary creator, kind of that lead guard, and he can kind of play that more secondary role? Yeah, because he can then, I mean, be a spot-up shooter. I think he's great at that. I think he's also good at attacking closeouts. And with Zion, yeah, you're going to be able to do that anytime. And Ingram, really. Yeah. And defensively, he's very sound, right? Like he, he's got a good frame. You know, he, I think he lacks that kind of elite athleticism, which I wonder about like switchability on, but in terms of kind of like one-on-one and still a lot of off ball stuff, he does seem to do very well. Yeah. I mean, he, like I said, off ball player. So um, on both ends that applies to, I think he's, he holds his own on defense too. Like, I mean, you look at the way he can just stay in front of almost anybody. So I, I think he's a positive on that end. Yeah. And what about Jeremy Sohan? You know, I've seen the comps to like Draymond Green at times with him. That's someone that I think as I do a little bit more into the draft, I'm going to really start to like. Oh, you're shaking your head here. Like maybe you don't you don't love him here. Is that what that was? Is that what I'm getting from you? Yeah. You know, he has the IQ and I hate doubting guys with high IQs and like length and size and athleticism. Mm -hmm. But he has a fatal flaw and that's that's jump shooting for the year he shot 29 and a half percent from three 59 percent from the free throw line and honestly the free throw percentage scares me a lot more like that's a bigger indicator of shooting he can't shoot like almost i would say i I don't know the number on this but i would guess a third to a half of his made threes were bank shot threes too it wasn't like they were like all right they're just bricking in and out it's genuinely he has no accuracy on the jump shot yeah, that's kind of a big concern, right? So even all the other tools, right? It, 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 that that knocks him for like significantly far, not significantly, but knocks him further down for you. Like that's, as you said, kind of such a fatal flaw in your mind. Oh yeah, no, it's, I'll, I'll be 100% honest. It's significant. Uh, I, have okay. him in the 20s. <laughs> I have him in the 20s. Because oh, wow. of it. I, I also had a Tyrese Albert in the 20s. I didn't think he could shoot. So I might be an idiot. There's a very good possibility that's just the case. But I, I really do think, you know, you got to be able to shoot. Yes, he's versatile. He can play any position on both ends. But he really can't at the same time because he can't shoot. 
Yeah, I, I wonder if New Orleans might be willing to take a chance on him having a guy like Fred Vinson, who's a bit of a shot doctor and, you know, knowing that they don't need him to be, you know, when you look at this team, right. And I'll, and I'll put this question to you, you know, the, I don't know if the team needs to draft a guy that, that has to contribute right away. Right. Like I, when I kind of look at their roster and the rotation and kind of project it out for next year, like, I don't know where minutes for a rookie is necessarily going to come from at least right away. So do they have the ability to take a chance on a guy like Sohan who can't shoot, Let's just say it like that and, you know, develop him over the next couple of years and hope that he does figure that shot out. And then when you put it with all the other tools of his, it's really good. Like if he had a shot, where do you rank him? Oh, man. Yeah, he's he's probably six at worst. I mean, like, yeah, OK, if you had a point guard slash center that can shoot and defend right. anybody. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Good. like where, where's that guy like, kind of go? Is that the kind of approach you think the Pelicans should take is they don't need a guy that's going to be able to contribute right away. So you take the guy with like the highest ceiling that you think can help you, you, your team, your, your coaches, your, your front office and all that your staff can help become a guy. Or do you look at this of like, just go take the best player that's going to kind of help near and long-term. I think, I think the latter, honestly, I mean, you have two, I, I, they have a superstar in Zion. I know people Mm -hmm. have soured on him because he hasn't played this in a year, but like, I mean, he was an All-NBA. He should have been All-NBA, I think, last year, yeah. um, 2019, or 2020, 2021. Ingram is a borderline superstar, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Just draft players who are good at this point. I don't think you need to find these specific fits. I And also, like with Sohan, I just don't think you can play him with Zion on the court. I really don't think it's possible they can coexist. No, I mean, that's that's important to try and, you know, think about. And again, right, like if he doesn't develop that shot and if you're not able to do that, it's almost a waste of a draft pick for the team in a sense. And when you're a small market trying to build a David Griffin love sustainable success, right? Like, yeah, I don't know if you can necessarily miss on things like that. So sometimes you just have to go with a guy that's going to really be able to like help you out. So a few more here. What do you, do you like any of the centers, uh, you know, Jalen Duran um, or, or Walker Kessler or, or Mark Williams out of Duke, any of those guys intrigue you in like the top 10, top 15, you know, you, you kind of hinted at it in, in the first segment, but so I, I'm assuming no, yeah, uh, none of the guys really move the needle for me. I think Duran could be really good. He has some issues he has to iron out, but he's also young. He reclassified. He should still be in high school uh, or about mm-hmm. to enter college. So, like, I'm willing to forgive him on some of those flaws a little bit more willingly than the others. Um, just because, like, he can't shoot right now. I think he's pretty raw on defense, but the physical tools are nuts. Uh, so, starting with Duran, I, I would take him at eight. Not ideal, but, mm-hmm. you know, with the lack of floor spacing next to Zion, and eh, there's better options. Yeah. No, like I, I don't, I, I know they love a rim protector, but I don't, I, I just don't think you can draft like a, I don't know if he's quite one dimensional, but he's kind of one dimensional, right? Like I just don't feel comfortable drafting that kind of guy at eight overall for a team with Zion, another team maybe, but I think you can kind of find rim protection elsewhere or later in the draft because no one's taking those guys particularly high. And I think, you know, after drafting Jackson Hayes eight, couple of years ago do they want to go with another center at eight two and i wonder if they're kind of feeling a little bit burned by that to some degree right and he's not as athletic i think as as jackson hayes is and i do think jacks can eventually be a good center next to zion but no like i don't think some of the guys there um it really could be what about a guy like dang just kind of like the big unknown and crazy physical tools what are your thoughts on him 
Yeah, he's a tale of two halves uh, of the season. The first 11 games, he averaged like four points on 20-something percent shooting. The next 12 games, he averaged 13 points on 49% shooting. So really don't know what to make of that. The one constant has always been defense. I think if you're looking for – and this is kind of what I would go with. If you're trying to draft a big man, you would want somebody mm-hmm. who's a small ball big man. Let Zion be that five or whatever and have a guy who can stretch the floor, do other things as your quote-unquote center. And Jang kind of checks the boxes. Like, I think his jump shot is real, even though the numbers weren't, you know, super favorable. Defense, he can guard right. almost every position. And he can also play make a little bit, too. Oh, no, that's it's interesting, right? Like, if they want to kind of go with that super upside pick, that he's probably kind of the guy in that range that, like, has that, that if you can get a guy, if, if they go with kind of what you're saying they shouldn't do, right, of let's just go pure upside, we'll bring this guy along slowly, maybe put him in the G League for a period. He seems to be a guy that can kind of represent that. So before we wrap up here, though, any other names Pelicans fans should kind of keep an eye on? Anyone that you've got as kind of like a sleeper or might end up surprising some people? Yeah, one guard. I uh, talked about that off-ball defense and the pick-and-roll ball handler. Malachi Branham, yeah. I think that dude's going to be a riser. He's somebody who is is creeping up into the lottery, high lottery discussions. Uh, what what is really appealing to him is we talked about those midseason improvements earlier. He is mm-hmm. he is an, like the textbook example of that. He six points per game in 2021. In 2022, he was at 21 points per game. That's just absurd. And the talent got better that he was facing. And on top of that, defensively, he can overcome screens. You can't take him out of a play defensively. I think there's a lot to like. Yeah, he's young too. A freshman that I think was a little bit of a surprise coming into the draft and that he kept his name in there. So I love it. The name to kind of keep an eye on. So you think he's going to be flying up draft board. So Richard, thanks for taking some time here on Locked on Pelicans with me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is uh, wonderful. I hope this is, uh, you know, the season debut. Hopefully some of these names actually work out for y'all. Let's make sure you you look super smart here. If they draft one of these guys we just talked about, give Richard all the credit and everything. So appreciate it, man. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Next week, we're going to look at mock drafts. Who do the experts have the Pelicans taking? We'll continue to look at draft prospects, including Jeremy Sohan, maybe some of the centers as well, and maybe do a mailbag episode taking our listeners' questions here. So as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, and I'll be back with you all next week.